0: and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Cory Janel financial clarity for doctors Rochelle van in here with Corey Janoff hello yep we are back in the office sort of sort off of. and on <laughs> and today we're actually recording with our equipment that we were so excited about a few months back and now we're finally getting to use again
1: in a socially distanced conference room exactly right now. Our,
0: our largest conference room probably like 15 <laughs> feet away from each other yes. but you guys can't tell the difference <laughs> on the video And today, we actually wanted to talk to something uh, about something that's fairly timely. Um, It's coming up on summertime. Summertime is often like that hot home buying season, and we wanted to talk a little bit about what you should be looking at when you're doing this home purchasing and making those choices. So, one of the biggest determining factors for people in general when we're talking about achieving financial independence and being able to achieve your goals is just how much you actually spend on a house. So, I think that's a big part of the budget. It's going to be a big part of the plan for most people, unless we're choosing not to buy a house at all. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that as people come up on maybe making some of those decisions. Corey, you want to get us started a little bit?
1: Yeah. And I mean, we'll focus mostly on home ownership today, but even a lot of this rings true with renting as well. Mm -hmm. Your housing costs, whether that be owning or renting, will be probably your biggest expense outside of maybe taxes in your life. And it's one of the biggest determining factors in your ability to achieve your financial goals. You know, the more money you spend on the house, the less money you have to devote towards other things that's important in life. So I think, um, you know, it gets back to pretty much every conversation we have. It, it, it all gets back to what your goals and priorities are, what's important to you. And if we want to have the, the big fancy house and, and that's most important to us, then great. If there's other things that are important to you that you want to achieve – then uh, then you know, maybe we need to, to reevaluate or just you know, think hard about our home purchasing decisions and how much we really do spend on a house. And when it comes to, to homes, um, there's really, when you're looking at buying a house, there's four variables that are at play here. There's the price, the size, the location, and then the amenities or the quality of the home. And you get to, for the most part, decide three out of those four. You can't have them all. So you can't have the big house in the great location that's brand new and inexpensive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can get a house in a a decent location um, that, that's uh, a reasonable price for your budget and, you know, has the amenities that you want, but the size, you know, maybe a a smaller home. So we got to try and pick and choose what's important to us and, 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 look at it from a big picture standpoint and encompass all of our goals into the equation.
0: Yep. And this is something that we can control. Like you have control over what house you buy. So we don't have a whole lot of control over taxes. We don't have a whole lot of control over student loans at this point because they're already there. So if we can control those housing expenses or just make the choice to make that, get that bigger house and then work the rest of the budget around it, like you have, you have a lot more control there, which is really nice.
1: Yeah, and there's, I mean, with home ownership, I think um, there's more to it than just the, the mortgage payment. You know, we hear the, the, the conversation or the argument a lot. Well, I'm sick of throwing money away at rent. Well, your rent is just one fixed cost, and it's nice because when your lease is up, you can get out, or there might even be opportunities to break the lease early if you if you want to. But it's just one payment, and that's it. With home ownership, you have your mortgage payment, which includes the principal and the interest, you have taxes, you have homeowner's insurance, possibly HOA dues, depending on the neighborhood you live in or the type of building, maintenance and repairs, <laughs> which Rochelle, you and I are both homeowners, we yep. probably both know far too well that those add up over time.
0: And as a renter, you're not responsible for them.
1: <laughs> there we go, absolutely. <laughs> So that, I, I think when you really factor those in, especially on older homes, you know, the roof's going to need to be redone at some point. The furnace is going to go out. Air conditioner, if you have air conditioning, you know, that'll probably need to be fixed or replaced. The siding, the paint, the windows, the, you know, just stuff happens. You get termites, you know, so you get mold. You know, there's all sorts of things that, that happen that that cost money. Um, and then, you know, we'll get into this a a little bit down the road, but then the ancillary costs that come with, depending on the quality of the neighborhood and, you know, how upscale it is, you know, you might want to keep up with the Joneses with some of your other expenses. Um, but then, you know, an additional cost of home ownership is transaction costs when you buy or sell. So depending on how long you plan on being in that home, that could be a really, you know, the deciding factor, you know, it, 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 does it make sense to buy when we're going to be paying these closing costs on the home to get in and then we're going to have to pay closing costs plus a real estate agent commission to get out plus some, you know, some cosmetic work to make it look appealing for the sale.
0: Absolutely. And I think that those costs are pretty significant and people don't realize that. And I do think it's really important to do that math ahead of time. Like before we make a decision to buy a house at all, does it make sense based on the time that we have to be there. And the other thing that you really have to take into consideration is the fact that real estate markets have volatility, just like the stock market does, just like other investments in this world or other like things that you purchase and maybe plan to sell in the future. And if you can't sell it for the price that you want to, that like there's, there's some risks there and you may end up not making money, maybe you would have been better off renting in some situations. Um, And I think right now, especially, that's something to keep in mind. Like, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the economy. There's a lot of uncertainty in a lot of different markets. And it may affect the real estate market. It may not affect it very much. But that's just something that we don't know. So it's just a risk that's there. Um, And it seems like when you have more time to be in a house, if you're committed to being there and purchasing it and staying there for five, six, seven years, you have a much better chance of recouping the costs that you put into that home than if you buy a house with the intent to turn around and sell it two or three years later. Like the idea of buying a starter home and then flipping it and making money and then getting into your next home that's bigger and better three years later is just not very realistic, I feel like, in most circumstances.
1: No, no. Um, and that transaction cost is one of the big components. You Absolutely. know, you pay a real estate agent a 6% commission when you sell, plus, you know, moving costs, plus you're going to need to fix some things up, put some fresh coat of paint on or something. So I think a lot of estimates out there, you know, I estimate you'll probably spend about 10% of your home's price uh, just to, to sell it. So if you have a $500,000 home, expect to spend about $50,000 to sell it. And then you're probably going to spend, you know, a, another decent sum to get into the next one, you know, in, in fees mm-hmm. and transaction costs, um, you know, maybe more, you know, closer to like 5% or a little less. But, you know, the, that sale and then purchase of the next home, you know, it's going to be a pretty expensive endeavor and real estate is not guaranteed to increase in value. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of young physicians will buy a house with one of those doctor mortgage loans, which we should probably do an episode on that here at some point in the near future, um, where you're putting a very small amount down, maybe 5% or in some cases, 0% down. Mm -hmm. And if you're, let's say you put 5% down on a house and you plan to sell it in a few years and a few years from now, that house is worth less than you bought it for, it may actually cost you money to sell the house. You, your house isn't worth as much as the mortgage plus transaction cost to get out of it. So you may have to write a check out of your own pocket to cover that real estate agent commission or, you know, closing costs. It's not just going to come from the proceeds of the sale. So something to consider there if, especially if you're using one of those doctor loans, what's the time horizon on this purchase? How long am I going to be here? Because there's a good chance you can't sell the home for as much as you bought it for.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially in a short time period. I think that's, yeah. So if you have longer, it, it may make sense. It probably makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot. It just is something to be considered for sure. Yeah.
1: If you have at least five years to go, you know, then yeah. the argument for buying makes a lot more sense. But if you're thinking less than five years, let's really sit down and pencil this out and look at pros and cons.
0: Absolutely. And then I like the the idea that when you buy a nicer house in a nicer neighborhood, maybe there's like this avalanche effect of some additional expenses that get added to your budget. Because the next door neighbors have the fancy Christmas decorations and you really want your house to look the same way. Or maybe they got a fresh coat of paint and you think that the colors on your house are not exactly what you want them to be. You know, and there's, there's this idea that you kind of have to keep up with your neighbors or you want to not even necessarily that you feel like you have to but you see other people that are doing things with their homes and with their purchases and with their lives and you know that you make a decent income so why would you not be able to do that so I do think there's definitely like that cascading effect of just more and more things getting added to the budget when you live in an area where people spend a good chunk of money on things like their homes.
1: Yeah, we're naturally inclined to keep up with the Joneses next door. And there was, I forget where I read this, it was a study done, it might have been in a book or some article, but basically if your next door neighbor buys a new car, you're like two times more likely to buy a new car in the next 18 months than if your neighbor didn't buy a new car. So there is that influence. If you're driving a 10-year-old vehicle and your neighbor gets a nice new, you know, insert Mm -hmm. brand here, you know, you might feel like, huh, maybe I should, should, you know, cut up to par with my next door neighbor, you know, And, and the nicer their car, you know, if they're getting a new Honda, great, you know, maybe not quite as detrimental to the budget, but if they buy a brand new Mercedes or something, you know, that could be a a much bigger expense. And And you're
0: probably not going to get a Kia in that situation. No, (laughs) like if you go
1: and if they get a Mercedes and you're buying, not to rip on Hondas, but like a used Honda or Hyundai or something, Mm -hmm. that's not, you're going to be maybe a little embarrassed pulling in the driveway next to their new Benz. So It's, there is that, that ripple effect, that avalanche effect, you know, that you live in a nicer neighborhood, you're going to want to drive a nicer car, you're going to, you know, get nicer furniture, you know, if you have a Walmart delivery truck pulling up at your door, it's not going to look as nice as if it's like West Elm or something. So I I had one person that I met with, they just bought this seven figure home in a really nice upscale neighborhood. And they were planning on spending like $200,000 furnishing the place. Um, and I'm like, well, and I was just trying to, I was curious. I was asking, what's what are you why? Buying? Like, Well, we just bought this <laughs> nice house and, you know, we, can, we can't have people over if we have our old furniture in the place, you know, it'd be embarrassing in this neighborhood. We need to, you know, have a you know, properly decorated house for, for where we live. And mm-hmm. it's, it's true, whether we admit it or not, you know, if you want to fit in with those around you, um, uh, we want to assimilate. And it's, uh, you know, it's just human psychology. There's nothing wrong with it, but something to be aware of. If you're, you know, living in a more blue-collar neighborhood, you're going to want to fit in and be more blue-collar. If you're living in, you know, the upscale neighborhood, you're going to want to have upscale things to match your neighbors Mm -hmm. so you're not embarrassed walking around.
0: Yeah. I think it is also interesting to look at this in a little bit of a historical context, because just the size of our lives has gotten so much bigger over the last few years. Like, there's this whole idea of the McMansions, where, like, every new house that's built is so much bigger than the new houses that were built decades ago. So, you know, like, if you live in a 1976 house with four bedrooms, it might be 1,700 square feet. But if you live in a house that was built in 2010 with four bedrooms, it's probably 2,500, 2,600 square feet. And, like, that square footage has increased and the number of people that are in the homes has decreased so really we're just living in a a much bigger footprint right now and there's so much of a movement towards like being conscious of the environment and like reducing your footprint and things like that but this is one area where I don't think that that's really translated where it's just everything's getting bigger and bigger and bigger Um, but again it's it's not necessary it's just more like our psychology and what our expectations are um, and again, like, it's fine if that's what you want. It's just that you may be doing that and not doing something else that you may want to do as well. So it's all about, like, my. you have limited resources. What do you want to put those resources toward? And, you know, maybe it's that bigger house. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, that, that, you know, there's data behind that, what Rochelle mentioned, like, houses in the 70s, new homes built then were about a 1,000 square feet smaller than new homes built today and yeah, family sizes have decreased. So the, the average, um, you know, size per per person or the average square feet per person in the house is almost doubled in the last Mm -hmm. 40, 50 years. So it's, uh, our standard of living as a whole has increased and it's really hard to to go backwards once you increase that standard of living. So, Mm -hmm. um, you're kind of transitioning to kind of the, the main purpose of this podcast. How much can a doctor afford to spend on a house? And our favorite answer, <laughs> Rochelle, is...
0: It depends. It
1: depends. <laughs> um, everyone's situation is different. There's no, you know, hard and fast rule that everyone needs to stick to. It really boils down to your circumstances, um, you know... What what's your income? What do you have student loans? What's the payment on those? How many kids do you have? You know, do we have a spouse that works or stays at home? How much are we spending on child care? Are we spending are we sending our kids to private school, public mm-hmm. school? What are our goals? Do we want to retire early? Do we not want to retire early? Do we want to pay for our kids to go to college? You know, do, do we re- have
0: any retirement savings at at all? Yes, <laughs> you know how
1: like how important are nice vacations? Or are we content? Mm-hmm. You know. Just going camping locally, you know, what, like, what's your lifestyle, like, what's important to you, what makes you happy, it really, you know, helpful to sit down and and assess those things, and where does a, a, the house fit in on that list of priorities, how important is it to have a nice big, quote unquote, stereotypical doctor house, you know, um, where, is, where does that rank on the priority list? And if it's high on the list, great, but we're going to have to sacrifice some other things in order to, to afford that. If it's low on the priority list, well then let's prioritize some of the more important things to us first and with what's left over, all right, now that's our home buying budget, if mm-hmm. you will.
0: I think it's really important to take a good hard look at your budget, like what your income is, what your outflows are expected to be, what your mortgage is going to be, but also what additional expenses you can expect from your home and also what are other things that you might see in the future come up. Because like right now, we're taking on a mortgage payment, but if you have young kids and you're expecting to put them in private school, well, your your budget's going to look really different in a couple of years. So like if there's anything like that that's coming up, that's important to focus on. And I think the student loans are the big elephant in the room. Like, always they're they're huge for a lot of physicians
1: it is a mortgage payment it is a mortgage payment
0: and sometimes much more than a mortgage payment depending on how aggressive you want to be with them and i think that that's that's one thing that's very different for 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 physicians from what we expect like your physician lifestyle to be because like no one outside of the physician space really talks about how large of a student loan burden a lot of doctors actually have and and so I think just, you know, looking at those numbers of what you're gonna expect to take home, because yes, you do have to pay taxes, we can't control a lot of that, and then what those outflows look like. And you can you can figure out exactly what you can afford if you take a good hard look at it. And there are some general like guidelines. And I know like Corey, we were talking about that book that you were reading about.
1: Yeah, so a couple of rules of thumb. One of them Two times your income is an easy one to remember. Two mm-hmm. times your income. And a lot of you have probably heard of the book, The Millionaire Next Door. I've referenced it numerous times before in this podcast and on blogs that I've written. Uh, but the authors, Thomas Stanley and William Danko, uh, I think Danko has passed away, but, but Stanley is still cranking out books. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's written a couple of follow-ups to The Millionaire Next Door. But anyways... Um, their professors, their research, they study affluent people. They've been doing this for decades. And they're trying to find what characteristics are consistent um, across the board for, for affluent households. And is it, are you able to predict who's going to be affluent, who's not? And, and what traits do they possess? And one of the common themes he found is that the quote unquote millionaires, you know, are affluent people who have high net worths more assets than debts, um, they tend to rarely carry a mortgage balance that is greater than two times their income. So if you want to achieve affluent status in their definition, having a high net worth, which, you know, for us, that's that's the goal. We want to, for doctors, you know, you're going to be in the top echelons of uh, income earners, hopefully net worth. You know, we, we want you guys to mm-hmm. be in a position to achieve financial independence to where you can live on your own terms and, and stop working one day if you so choose. Uh, if you want to get there, keeping your mortgage balance lower than two times your income is a good starting point. So if you're looking at buying that new house, two times your income, that doesn't mean the house has to be less than two times. It's just the mortgage has to be less than two times. So if you know for easy math, if you make $200,000, you'd ideally want to keep your mortgage below 400000 assuming, you know, that's household income. Um, now, if you like the $500,000 house, that's great, but ideally we put 20% down, 100000 on the $500,000 price so we can finance 400000 or lower, and that'll keep your payments, you know, reasonable to where you can still afford to do some of those other things.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to note that banks will generally approve you for much more than... Like Corey or I or most like financial advisory people, anything like that would would tell you to finance. Like they care that you can make your mortgage payment. They do not care if you pay off your student loans quickly or save for retirement or do any of those other things or go on vacation. They don't care if you go on vacation. They care that you can make your mortgage payment. So they'll approve you for much more than two times your gross income, maybe up to like four or even five times your gross income, depending on like what the the criteria are at that time for that specific bank.
1: Yeah, a lot of banks, um, accepted rule, which I think has to do with conforming loans, but banks generally can lend uh, well, not the total debt payments that you have have to be, ha, cannot exceed forty three percent of your gross income. Well, you know, hypothetically, if you have zero other debts, no car loans, no student loans, no nothing, mm-hmm. you could borrow. A, a pretty sizable sum to where your payments are 43% of your income, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of you guys are in pretty high tax brackets. And if you're in a high tax state, like, you know, New York, California, New Jersey, Oregon, where we live, you mm-hmm. know, if you're making a, a healthy income, like 40% plus percent of your income could be going to taxes and then if another 40 percent is going to your mortgage that doesn't leave very much to buy groceries yeah.
0: <laughs> and also when they do that calculation they can use whatever your payment is at the time so if you have student loans and you're in like an income-driven repayment plan your payment right now could be artificially low if you just finished training or uh-huh. something or if you're still in training um And that payment's not going to stay that low forever. Like that payment will increase. So that's something to be really, really wary of too.
1: Well, something that's completely asinine is some of these uh, lenders with their doctor loans will ignore Mm -hmm. student loan payments altogether, Mm -hmm. which makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's Mm -hmm. a debt, it's a payment, it's real money. Um, But, you know, that's one of the perks to those doctor loans is it enables people to get into homes with looser lending requirements Um, which can be very beneficial for some folks. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we really have to look at the whole picture and and analyze everything carefully and make sure that we're not ignoring something just because the bank is willing to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because if it's it's part of our expenses, we've got to factor that into the equation somehow. So, but yeah, we're we're not saying this is the maximum house you can afford. You can afford a lot more, but what else is important to you? Um, If you want to retire one day. If you want to help pay for your kids to go to college, if you still want to take nice vacations, eat out at nice restaurants, mm-hmm. then let's try and keep our mortgage below two times our income.
0: Yeah. And another good general rule is just to try to keep your, your monthly mortgage payment or your monthly housing costs, not just your mortgage payment, but less than like 20% of your gross income. So that includes your mortgage, the insurance, like anything else that's on escrow, like your property taxes, HOAs, all of that kind of stuff. If you can keep that below 20% of your gross income, you should still have room in your budget to do the other things that you need to do.
1: And I would Um, even throw some maintenance expenses and utility costs in there, Um, just the total housing costs, not counting your internet bill or your cable bill, because you'll pay that if you rent Mm -hmm. uh, or you own uh, but, you know, what does it cost to be in this house, the water, or the sewer, um, yeah. you know, total costs. And the nice thing is generally those those two rules go hand in hand. If you're spending less than two times your income on a house, most likely unless you're in a really high property tax area or have really high HOA payments, your your monthly payments are probably going to be below 20 percent of your income mm-hmm. so, and vice yeah. versa.
0: And I think that's a good thing to consider when you're renting too, when mm-hmm. you're looking for a place to live, you're not quite ready to buy yet. When you're renting, that's another good just rule to have in mind. I think huge disclaimer here, when you're in training, this might not be doable like when you're in training and you're looking for a rental or something like that, it could be significantly more than 20% of your your gross income, just depending on where you live. There are some places where cost of living is fairly high and you don't you have a, a fairly fixed income. Um, so a lot of times, like when you're in training, it, it's not very doable to, to keep things in proportion. And you have to understand that like that that rent or that housing payment in general is probably going to be a, a, a big chunk of your income. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to keep it reasonable, but it is just something that we have to acknowledge as a function of like where you're living and also like what the cost of living is and your income compared to what you expect it to be in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. and if cost of living, if you're in a lower cost of living environment, mm-hmm. this isn't a goal to try and hit 20% mm-hmm. of your income going towards housing. Like if you're uh, content on a, a home that only costs 7% of your income in, in, in total monthly costs and great, that leaves a lot more for other stuff, you Absolutely. know, like if you're a, a, an orthopedic surgeon in the Midwest, you know, you, you very easily, like if, it, a house that's more than 10% of your income might be the biggest house in the nicest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, really don't force yourself to spend more just because we're saying you can <laughs> go up to this limit, but the yeah. less you spend, the more flexibility you have, um, but something to keep in mind there.
0: Yeah. It's not like a goal to hit. Yeah, it's not like your credit card <laughs> limit.
1: This is It's a limit, not a goal.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay. Cool. So I think just a few closing thoughts. It's definitely important to kind of assess your own goals. So think about it. Like if you're a person who wants to get rid of your student loans really quickly, leave a lot of room in your budget for student loan payments. If you're a person who really likes vacationing, pencil it in. How much do you think that that's going to cost you per year? Is it going to cost more when you add kids into the picture? Um, there's lots of things that our clients have as goals and they vary a lot depending on the people that we're talking to. And I think that's the thing that only like you yourself can really decide. And so it's important just to sit down, like think about it, pencil it out for yourself and then make your priorities accordingly. And everyone has limited resources. Even high-income earners, you don't have an unlimited amount of money so that you can do all of the things you want to do. So if you can figure out, like, how much you have coming in and what is really important to you, you can you can make it work, absolutely. Yeah, so that's just important to kind of, you know, do that self-assessment once in a while. And do it more than once, because things change. Like, obviously, we have to re- reassess once in a while and get a, a good sense of where we want to be going forward, too, because... You know, maybe you add another kid to the picture, and you didn't expect to do that. <laughs> now our goals are different, but yeah, there's a whole lot to a lot to consider for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. ask yourself what makes you happy. Yeah, um, and reverse and your life around that. And mm-hmm. most people would say spending time with family, friends, maybe traveling's in that picture. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think people would have six thousand square feet of house on that list of happiness. Yeah, it might feel nice when you first buy it, but Um, you know, it's just going to be another place to live after a few months once you're settled Mm -hmm. in. So, and again, if it's important to have the nice house in the nice neighborhood, that's great. You know, we're all for it. Um, you know, but that means that's less money that can go towards other things. If it's important to retire early, send the kids college, you know, stuff we've kind of already covered today, let's prioritize those things first. Make sure we're putting enough towards those goals. And then with what's left, all right, here's our housing budget. This is what yep. we can afford to spend on a house.
0: Yep. And you do have control over it. You know, you get to decide whether you're buying or renting. You get to decide how much house you buy. Um, and so I think it's important just to maintain that sense of control. I think that's really helpful in financial planning to, to pick out the things that you have control over and and make decisions from there. Yes. So, yeah.
1: All right, you guys. Well, good luck with your home purchasing and decisions, renting decisions. Feel free to reach out to us if if you have any questions or need to use us as a resource.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for listening.
1: Yep. Take care.
0: We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like.